beat me if you can survive if I let you. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. And here we are, Tuesday night. Uh, if you are watching this, you are on our YouTube. Make sure you tell all your friends, family <coughs> to go like, share, subscribe to the YouTube page so you can catch more of myself and my tag team partner, the Mr. Jack Torrance. Well, how are we doing? Oh, we're getting downtown like Julie Brown, buddy. Another uh, exciting week here. And first off, I would like to say a big shout out to our sponsor, Deadly Grounds Coffee. Pretty awesome. Our second show, and we have a sponsor. How about them apples? Deadly Grounds, uh, and also uh, the Dorkening Podcast Network is a sponsor us. And uh, much, much appreciated. And shout out to Leo and his crew, what they do for us, and keeping our shit up on the streams. Hell yeah. I can so, dig it, Danny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Tonight, tonight, we are diving into the best rivalries that we feel are appropriate for the rivalries. Y'all may have some different opinions. You may not. But this is what we think of the top ten in our glorious minds. I still love that picture of me when I still had hair. I, I love the fact that you put that up as our... Well, yeah. that was before you met the weed whacker. <laughs> it's a little different now, folks. But, uh, yeah, um, this is a... <clears throat> This is a tough one for me. I love the fact that we're doing this this week, but, you know, aside from maybe Austin versus McMahon, it's very hard to choose 10 of the greatest feuds of all time because there's been so many, so many. I mean, oh, no. back to well before we were even, you know, a thought in our mother's bellies. Um, so this was tough for me. I'm not going to lie. It was not easy coming up with this list. But once again, like you said, you know, it's it's just personal opinion, folks. Don't get mad if we leave your favorite feud out or anything like that. Um, it's just very hard to call this one. I'm not going to lie. Well, if, if we leave your feud out, you want us to talk about your feud, shoot us an email. OffTheRopesTuesday at gmail.com. We will try and get to your comments, suggestions, and feuds tonight. Indeed. And we greatly appreciate your input, folks. Feel free to disagree, agree, like, don't like, as long as you're interested in some way, shape, or form. We're cool with that. So we appreciate you. 
Are we uh, diving into a little raw dynamite recap first? Is that yes, we're we're, we're going to dive in quickly to the raw report and the dynamite report. Uh, we will start off right right off the rip with uh, the raw report real quick. Go through a couple of things there. Uh, again, three hours long. Vince, you need to cut that shit down because I tapped out after two. Not gonna <laughs> lie. Yeah, this is what I was talking about last week, dude. Uh, first time I had watched an entire Raw in many moons, and it was just, there's so much filler, you know. Condense it. Just just bring it down. I miss the old Attitude Era days of two hours with plenty. We don't, we don't need three. When they first started doing this, too, it reminded me at that point when, remember when Nitro went to three hours and yep. everyone just knew, uh, that. Like that first hour was for the kids before they went to bed, and then the last two were more scaled towards the adult regime, if you will. Yeah, you had um, to be very careful too, because the highlights of the show when it came to Nitro, no doubt about it, were the cruiserweights. Um, mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says about NWO and yada yada. The cruiserweights were the shit. You had Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, Juventud Guerrera. The list goes on and on, and that's why I always tune into Nitro. But um, it was very hard to, especially back then, you didn't have the DVR. You can't just, eh, I don't care. Well, those it. are the days where we were hooking up VCRs at each other's houses. Like, you record Nitro, I'll get mm -hmm. Raw, Kevin will get ECW. Right. No, I'll catch them all. I still have endless amounts of Nitros and Raw in my poor dad's basement. By the way, Dad, I doubt you're watching, but I swear I'll get that shit out of your cellar real soon. So we're going to kick it off with the old Raw report here. Um, I did think it was cool right off the bat. Uh, you had I like the fact that Charlotte is a heel again. They started off with Charlotte. Uh, and then they set up this whole, you know, Asuka was going to fight Charlotte and stuff, which is always fine with me. The two of them really can't do any wrong unless Vince is his way. I mean, he is the chairman, so he will always get his way. Yeah. Yeah, and boy, are we all too familiar with that scenario. So then we also had um, – oh, sorry. I guess might as well just say now, the match itself was pretty good. Um, Asuka and, and Charlotte, which is no big surprise because they're both extremely talented. Um, and I thought it was cool they snuck in. You know, Asuka got the surprise or seal win, if you will. Mm -hmm. They're doing this whole setup with Rhea Ripley now being the women's champion for Raw, correct? Yeah, because once again, yep. too many the belts. Champion. The Raw women's champion. Yeah. Too many belts, but yes. Too many participation trophies. Well, there's potential there for a, uh, a three-way feud, I guess, if you will. Then we had uh, Drew McIntyre. Well, I also, uh, back to back to the Oscar Flair real quick. Oh, sorry. I, 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 that, that that Flair, Charlotte Flair, got fined a hundred grand for uh, tossing the ref and dis uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, if you will. Oh, she got fined a big fine for beating up on the ref. Now, is this a storyline fine, or is this like, wow, she really crossed a line and actually? I don't know. You know, it's it's on the interweb, so you know whatever you read on the interwebs is true. Because if you recall, back in the day of the Nexus, when they first showed up, um, that almost ruined Daniel Bryan's career, that mm -hmm. whole invasion. He, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he spit and seen his face and he like choked one of the, the ring announcer or something. He just got a little too intense for, for 
pretty much everyone's liking it. Yes, except for me. I thought it was great. But then, yeah, Vince was all, <clears throat> Daniel. Too far. So this is, to me, this is probably just storyline. Most likely. Yeah, yeah. But it makes for good content. It would be awesome if it was real, though, and she was just like, fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we're just going to make this quick little run through through the shows. Um, Drew McIntyre, as we know, did not win at WrestleMania, did not reclaim the WWE Championship from Bobby Lashley. And now, starting last week, they throw in this thing where I, I still don't know who these guys are. They look like, like background characters from Road Warrior to me. Uh, Mason T-Bar. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, they were the ones who jumped McIntyre. Like, jumped them. They look like kind of like look like a new age demolition. Yeah, just a real like the Ocean State job lot of demolition, I guess. <laughs> the Sabres <laughs> version. I don't get it, but yeah, uh, Drew McIntyre unmasked unmasked them. I guess that was a big thing. Yep. Like they're luchadors. Who cares if they get their mask taken off? So. But yeah, Drew McIntyre defeated Mace and T-Bar via disqualification because God forbid, you know, you just have a straight match. So. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh gosh, what else we? Have? Oh yeah, and then I guess uh, uh, Braun Strowman got into the mix. I don't know if they're potentially looking at a Strowman and Drew feud, which eh, could be interesting. It'd be interesting. I mean, two two big powerhouses battling it out, but then what are they fighting for? Are they fighting for a number one contender spot? Right. Bobby Lashley. Are they gonna introduce Bobby Lashley into like a triple threat match? A couple different angles they can play on that one. See how it goes. Hopefully they don't fuck it up like they normally do with things. We're hoping for a non-botch, but we know how things work nowadays, so chances are. Then uh, we also saw Viking Raiders defeated Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin via Zipinfall. I like them. I like the Viking Raiders. They're cool. Yeah, I dig them. They remind me of the old school 80s tag teams, but the ones that could actually wrestle. You know? Exactly. Tugboat and uh, Earthquake <laughs> dancing their girth around. <laughs> and then we had a... Uh... Orton, and I couldn't remember the guy, the, the the Riddler's name, so I just called him Skinny Bitch in my notes. I I, tell you, I always want to call him Matt Rydell. I don't. I, I, yeah. it, but it, I gotta it, say, the problem of mine that Matt, Matt Riddle, the Matt Riddle. wonder that he is. That one uh, kind of entertained me because it kind of reminded me of the one, two, three kid when he overed uh, Razor Ramon. Ah, you mean hey, yo, chico? Yes, yes. Thank God you're wearing a shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, some people would disagree. Not many. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great that he won by a backside pin. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I uh, was kind of surprised to see uh, him go over on Orton. I kind of thought, yeah, we'll see a good contest, but this will be Orton just, you know, getting a win. And the kid, like I said, he got the shit beat out of my Sheamus at WrestleMania. Uh, he's got, he reminds me in a way of like an annoying Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. Like if Jay wasn't cool, that's how I look at Matt Riddle. <laughs> on a scooter? Yeah, with no shoe. It's like, put some fucking shoes on, dude. 
I don't know. You're not one of the wild Samoans. You don't get you're not King Haku. You. You're not Umaga. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A quick side note. I don't understand why anyone would want to wrestle without some sort of protective footwear. Talk about an easy way to just wreck your feet. Toes. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, how you know how much it sucks just to stub your fucking toe when you walk by the fridge the wrong way first thing in the morning. Let alone stubbing on a turnbuckle. You know, imagine you know Rusev or Miro, if you will, nowadays coming down and just crossing your <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so hey, he's dangerous, I guess. But the kid can work. Um I actually gotta admit though, one thing with him real fast. In the wake of the whole Me Too movement and everything, I, I think it's awesome that everyone is coming up and, and speaking against people who have done whatever they've done, the horrible things that have happened. But, you know, it happened through the wrestling industry as well this past year. And I do recall some allegations about Matt Riddle from back in the day that he did some not so nice stuff. So I don't know. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah, I I don't know if it's one of those things that the woman who made these accusa accusations got paid off or who knows. I mean, I know WWE is not going to risk their reputation on somebody that carries that kind of baggage. So I don't know the full story, but speculation I has it. I hear things. You think? Oh, so. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he stole the win over Wharton. That to me sounds like they might. Be setting up an Orton and um, lame Jay from Chance Island Bob feud, I guess. That's the way it's looking. Uh, I kind of wish it was more of the Orton and the Fiend, Fiend coming back, but. We'll, well I think that one kind of ran its course. And like we said yeah. last week, that it, it should have had a better finish, or they could have done something at Mania that would have continued it. But. Right. Look like, nah, we're done here. Orton even said, I'm, I'm, I'm moved on from Bray Wyatt. I won. Yada. So yeah. I want the blonde skinny bitch. Mm -hmm. And then there were some other matches in Raw, the, the Raw roster. Uh, Elias beat Kofi Kingston. Uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Bezler lost because the Pepto Bismo twins came down. <laughs> I like the, the Pepto twins. That's good. <laughs> I don't fucking know their names. The They're not worth me know their names. <laughs> Sorry, but. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, that does it for me for Raw. Yeah, overall, um, you had the Alexa Bliss promo talking about her doll and stuff, which Willie the doll. Willie. Kind of cool. um, Damian Priest defeated The Miz. Yeah. Don't care. Damian Priest, like I said last week, is pretty decent in the ring, but I don't, I just don't care about the storyline. I thought this was going to end at Mania. Evidently, it hasn't. And uh, yeah, I love seeing Sheamus again up in, you know, a top level, so to speak. Yeah. He's the new US champ. Anytime Sheamus is on, he's always fun. And he just beat the crap out of uh, Humberto Carrillo last Ooh. night. And I, I enjoy a good squash from Sheamus. It's just fun to see him. It, was, it reminds me some ways of watching Lesnar just go out when he first came in and just own people. It's mm -hmm. fun. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, there's your uh, rapport, if you will. And then uh, and we're going to hop in real quick with you for uh, the Dynamite Report real quick. 
Roger that. that. I know nothing about AEW. Shitty host that I am. Take it well, out. they're not all that great in the fact that we really haven't covered much NXT or we haven't said anything about SmackDown. So, I mean, if it's you guys want to sit here and watch us ramble for four hours, we could do it, but yeah. yeah. You'd get sick of us in the first 20 minutes. Let's yeah. See. Come on. We're, we're trying to just get to the the good potatoes here. So if you have any suggestions of shit you like us to talk about every week, that's always acceptable as well. We appreciate your input. But you can send your input right there to the email address on your screen. Roger that. How about that? So last week, Dynamite started out pretty hot with the AEW Tag Team Championship being defended by the Bucks of Youth versus the Death Triangle, which features Ray Phoenix and Pac, who a lot of people will probably remember, much like yourself, Diggs, you're not too uh, into AEW, but he was Neville in WWE. And I was always a big fan of him. Um, the little, little jacked men from Britain or wherever he's from. So, uh, yeah, they, you know, when you see guys like, the Young Bucks and Ray Phoenix and Pat going into the ring, you know you're going to get a quality show. Of course, the Bucks walked away with the belts. They are just recently turned heel as they have joined Kenneth Omega, the AEW world champion, and his alliance with Don Callis, Mr. Cyrus the Virus from the old ECW days, Mr. Diamond in the front of his freaking forehead. That I <laughs> Hated him back then. Hate him now. Um, AEW also has, you know, a, a whole thing going on right now where they're doing a crossover with Impact, formerly TNA. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. They're also uh, doing stuff with New Japan Pro Wrestling. I love the idea of different federations getting together, trading talent. It reminds me of back in the day, one of the only things that WCW, in my opinion, did right was when they used to do the talent trade, so to speak, with ECW. That's how you saw uh, Cactus Jack leave WCW and go to ECW and stuff like that. So, I But like then we all, all know how that ended. Uh, Bischoff raided Paul Heyman's locker room, and the rest is history. But um, So that was cool. Yeah, um, like I said, Bucks defeated... The Death Triangle, and always quality performance from those four. Then we saw Red Velvet versus Jade Cargill, who, uh, what was that, like a month ago or so, they did the tag team, mixed tag team match with Shaquille O'Neal and Cody Rhodes. And I got to ask you, dude, did you see any of the clips from that match? I did not, no. Shaq was awesome. Shaquille O'Neal. Way better than I ever expected him to be in the ring, especially at his age. Um, he took they finished it with him standing on the ring apron. Cody did a splash over the rope and put Shaq through two tables. Like Shaq really? could bump, dude. Shaq I'm could bump. Up to that. So these women were part of that match. They were the women in the mixed tag team match, Red Velvet versus Jade Cargill. This match was not all that hot. Um there, I think the problem with this, they, I think they initially anticipated that Cody Rhodes' wife Brandy was going to actually feud against uh, Jade, but 
and Brandy got pregnant. So obviously she's not in the ring right now. So this storyline is one of those, nah, we didn't know what to do. So there was that. Then we had um, Anthony Ogogo versus Cole Carter. Uh, Anthony making his in-ring debut alongside Hugh Trader Marshall, QT Marshall, who recently uh, turned on Cody Rhodes. This was just in and out. Uh, it was actually just a punch to the gut, and the referee <laughs> called the match, and that was it. That was the whole thing. So, Love it. <laughs> yeah. Quick and to the point. Then we had Chris Jericho versus Dax Harwood. Dax, of course, a uh, member of the infamous tag team. That mm, This was one of those teams that I was shocked when Vince cut them. And it was no big surprise when AEW scooped them right up because they are awesome. Um, Dax Hardwood and Cash Wheeler, they were in WWE as, um, oh, I should know this. Everyone's sitting there watching this right now going, I know what it is. Uh, but anyways, they were awesome. Old school technical wrestling kind of guys. Uh, AEW scooped them right up. So Jericho actually had a match with Dax because uh, Dax and Cash are now part of the Pinnacle, which is MJF's new stable, which he created by trying to destroy Jericho's stable, the Inner Circle. Um, and this actually featured Mike Tyson as well. Always glad to see I heard Mike back in the ring as back I did. Square circle. As I did live in person at WrestleMania 14, as you know. Mm-hmm. But, dude, all right. So, Tyson, he's in his what, 50s now? Easily. He looks awesome. I'm sure he does. He it looks, I mean, he's totally still in fighting shape. No doubt about it. Um, so, hats off to Mike on that one. But this wasn't much of a match. Uh, Jericho defeated Harwood. This is more just building the whole feud between Inner Circle and MJF's Pinnacle, which I expect great things from that coming up at uh, Blood and Guts. The what's basically a free pay per view on Dynamite is coming up next week or the week after, something like that. So we'll have to watch that and have a Blood and Guts report. You want to check that one out, buddy. That one's going to be good. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Chris, the alien Statlander returned as she took on Amber Nova. Um, pretty decent match. Nothing mm, too awesome to write home about. It was more just um, the fact that Statlander has now returned. She was out of action for a while. She has also joined up with the best friends, being uh, Orange Cassidy, Trent, and Chuck. So always cool there because I'm a huge, huge Orange Cassidy fan. Always good. So then that brings us to the main event. Mm -hmm. The Walls Count Anywhere match for the TNT Championship featuring champion Darby Allen going up against Matthew Hardy himself. And that was pretty Matt Hardy. Pretty good match, buddy. I know, like you said, you didn't see it, but Darby Allen is another one of those guys for the new generation of wrestlers, if you will. He is awesome. He doesn't, at first glance, he doesn't look like your average wrestler. He's short. He's scrawny. He's a professional daredevil. He's a professional skateboarder. He does all kinds of sick stuff. But Darby is awesome. And I love that Matt is in AEW. I know he's up there in age in his career, but... Um, I still always love the delete Matt Hardy 
face and all that. Oh, absolutely. And he's definitely one of those guys that you can tell he works with the young guys backstage, you know, trying to get, you know, get them in the right path. Um, so you got to give Matt a lot of credit with that. He's uh, he's one of the Hardy boys. So what can you say? I'm about to hop on that AEW train and start getting my my knowledge so I can participate. You're missing some good stuff, buddy. Moxley. Now, how long is uh, how long is their Monday night event? Is it three hours like the good old WWE? No, Dynamite is only two hours. Uh, Wednesday nights on TNT. They do have two shows now on YouTube, uh, AEW Dark, and then there's the new one on Mondays that now Paul White the Oh, big show himself is now a host of. So um, I think it's cool because they give, they have a really big roster, which is awesome because they're giving a lot of young talent, some exposure, but they only have a two hour national television show. So you can't put everybody in the ring in two hours. So the YouTube shows I think are good because it gets the young men and women. It gets them, it gets them out there in front of a crowd. Exactly. Whether it's on the YouTube, on what network are they on? TNT? TNT. So whether on TNT or YouTube, um, you know, it gets them all some sort of airtime to get established, to get known, and move up in their rankings, which is the way the WWE used to do it between SmackDown and Raw, and when Raw was Raw live and then Raw taped, mm. way back when. Oh. Back when we used to take shows. I just, I have to reminisce for just a moment. The old Saturday morning WWF superstars. Yes. I I kind of miss the days when, you know, you'd have Razor or whoever come out and just destroy some random mullet jobber. Someone like us on the ring going to fight the Ultimate Warrior. And we last, yeah, last three I mean, seconds. It, it was thanks to superstars that good old Barry Horowitz. Yep. Was made famous. <laughs> Danny Davis. I kind of miss the jobber squash matches sometimes. I, I was thinking know. that the other day, too. Yeah. We can do another whole episode on jobbers. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, you, yeah, that'll wrap up. Consider some of the superstars back then jobbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, Bad 90s, news. dude. Bad News Brown. Uh, Mantar alone. Mantar. Uh, one of the his gimmick was so bad that it was good. Put it that way. Just I get it. I get it. How do you even explain Mantar to anyone who's not familiar with professional wrestling? I'd I'd like to see it. All right. I think it is time we break into the meats and potatoes of the show, as you so called it earlier in the broadcast. Let's break it down, buddy. Before we break it down, though, you wanted to touch real quick on the recent releases. Oh, thank you for reminding Before we get yeah. into the potatoes, we got to have a little bit of the salad first. It's true. Oh, wow. A little appetizer, if you will. I just wanted to touch on the point that, as many wrestling fans will know, this past week, WWE made some cuts. And uh, part of that list, you know, Bo Dallas, who we haven't seen in a while. Um, I wish I had the list in front of me. There was a woman that was just on Raw that Mick Foley was actually really praising on his Facebook page. I was reading about it the other day. I wish I could remember her name. Um, that he was very surprised that they cut. But the biggest take from it is WWE 
in their infinite wisdom, released Samoa Joe. Yep. I don't get it, man. I know he's been commentating for a while uh, because of in injury, but it's fucking Jamo Jamoa so Jamoa Joe. Joe. <laughs> Jamoa so maybe that'll be my new my new <laughs> wrestling name. Jamoa so. But yeah, Samoa Joe, uh, I'm sure anyone who's actually watching this show will know who the fuck Samoa Joe is. He had one of the greatest feuds in wrestling history, speaking of feuds, with CM Punk in the old Ring of Honor days. He had incredible feuds with AJ Styles and Kurt Angle in TNA. Um, the guy is even, I love him just for the simple fact that he has said flat out, one day I'm probably just going to wind up in a wheelchair because I'm just going to kill my body for this sport because, yes, it's a sport. It is a sport. It is. Um, but Joe is the man, and I didn't understand WWE just letting him walk away from, from them like that. I don't know if there's more to it than we know. Maybe his injuries are more long-lasting, but even at that, he's such an invaluable source to – the business itself and he was he was really good on commentary too so he was you never know you may see him over on the aew side soon enough that's where they all seem to be migrating yeah um, i i hope he goes to aew i really do joe is awesome and i've always been a fan and i really always felt that they never proper they never used him properly in wwe when even before he got hurt I didn't. He had some good matches only because he's awesome. But storyline wise, he was one of those. They just let him fall through the cracks, really. Yeah. Uh, the one that I believe you were talking about with Foley, uh, was it Mickey James? Uh, Mickey James was one of them. But there was another woman that was actually just on Mania. I believe in the tag team tumor match as we were talking about last week <laughs> i can't remember the girl's name right off the bat um sorry but yeah foley i follow foley on facebook and i'm happy to announce that as of today i was recognized as one of mick foley's top fans on facebook so oh you can die happy now mm -hmm. barry horowitz again there you go mm. but foley uh broke it down about the whole uh release list and he agreed that it, you know, he understands like anybody. It's business. Mm -hmm. That's the way it goes. You got a big roster. You can only use so many people. But if you had a woman that was just on WrestleMania and then you're going to let her go a couple days later, I don't see that. I don't get it. But I'm not Mr. McMahon. So, <laughs> well, speaking of Mr. McMahon, I guess that's a good segue into, uh, I guess we'll kick it off with one of the greater oh. rivalries. I would have to say the greatest rivalry, rivalry in the history of professional wrestling. Stone Cold. I have to, I not have only, to agree. Not only just versus Vince, but the corporation itself. Yeah, I think That's we all. I, look at. I think we all lived vicariously through Stone Cold by flipping off your boss, punching your boss, saying "fuck the corporations." Um, Stone Cold got to get paid for it to do it, but. Oh, hell uh, yeah. They had some outstanding matches. That storyline was the greatest feud storyline, like you said, within the business. And I oh, think yeah. with, within yeah. any federation, within any mm -hmm. organization. Yeah, it, I think it's it's undisputed. I don't think anyone can argue that. 
that feud completely revolutionized the entire professional wrestling industry. That was also the feud that kept the pulse of WWF as as far as it was known back then, pre WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what kept them alive. Oh, the, of course. The fact that the, the Monday Night Wars, as we all know, at that time WCW was kicking ass, uh, and for the nineties, you know. Granted, you had Brett, you had Shawn Michaels, you had Taker, but that was a very dark time for WWF back in, you know, 94, 93, 95, heading into that era. Uh, Vince was going through the whole uh, um, indictment for with the federal gov- government for the steroid shit. So it was a real tough time for WWE. And hey, big time credit for the Hitman taker michaels those guys that kept that company going at the time but it was austin and vince that you know that kept it that yeah yeah the, the austin and vince is what kept people coming to the raws every monday night the smackdowns every tuesday thursday friday where the fuck they was on that that month or whatever yeah. network it was on but it was that anticipation of you watching wondering is Vince going to piss his pants to a fake gun that says bang 316? Is Austin going to spray him down with a beer truck? Is right. Vince going to fire him? Is Austin going to go corporate and then tell Vince to fuck off? Yeah. It was that anticipation that kept everyone coming back to your point, which is what kept that, what was then the attitude error. And I think Austin was the real start of that attitude error when he run the King of the Ring and he said, Austin 316 just whipped your ass. And I think. Mm-hmm. You know, with uh, Michael PSAs, <laughs> they're look, kind of looking at Austin like, "Did you just say that live on TV?" That kind of sparked a, where the where the attitude error took that turn. Absolutely, and with the Vince and Austin and the matches they had, like St. Valentine's Day Massacre and Vince in, oh. in the steel cage, that is still one of the greatest matches in my in oh, I, in, I, in my eyes. Because mm-hmm. so for Vince, for, for Vince being his age and him being in impeccable shape. Let's not pass that on Vince's fucking stack. He took some pretty good bumps too at his age. And he did a lot himself to keep his company afloat. To keep bringing that anticipation back. Oh yeah. I mean, the guy literally put his body on the line, bringing up the St. Valentine's Day massacre match. Austin was the first one to say after the, you know, Probably the best spot of the whole match, as great as the whole match was, when they were up at the top of the cage and Austin tosses him off, and Vince had the infamous bounce off the announce table. And for Austin, I'm sure you see the interview. He goes on to say, I'm up at the top of the cage, like, I think I just fucking killed my boss for real. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, the, the the way Vince just bounced off that table, I will never ever forget that. I was watching that pay per view live with my cousin, the big oaf himself, John Demontis. If you're out there watching, here's what's up, Johnny? Over at my folks' house, and we were like, dude, I think Stone Cold just killed Vince Magnus. <laughs> and oh man, how great that match was! You had, and that's how they introduced Paul White. Obviously, yep. known at the time as Giant and WCW coming in as the Big Show, and oh, that that the whole feud, man. That's what revolutionized the business, no doubt about it. Um, it changed everything. 
and well, it, of course, it, I mean, I mean, look at we're we're still talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's we will 2021, be... and that was in 1993 to 98, 2000. Well, no, Austin came in in 95, 96, 95, 96. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, you know, we're still talking about yeah. it. We're still talking yeah. about it from then to now is one of the greatest feuds ever to happen. I'm telling you, dude, gun to my head, best feud of all time. It's Austin versus Vince. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing that ever compared to that. That's the feud that also catapulted Austin to that level where I, I know it's up for debate. Who was bigger, Hogan or Austin? That's that's the feud that put Austin up to that level. There's no doubt. I mean, you want to you you want to go that who was bigger, Austin or Hogan? That's like asking who was better, LeBron or Jordan. Two totally well, different. It's always up for debate. Yeah. I mean, if you're going, because you, I mean, as you know, and everyone that that's that's listening, watching, wherever, you know, you had your '80s, you had your good guys and your bad guys. When it was Austin's time, it was a brawl for all. And well, so, I, so I also so mean, yeah, and I also mean too, as far as. Who, what, what two individuals can you think of that had a bigger impact on the entire industry itself? I mean, well, yeah, I, yeah, like Hogan and Austin, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. Hogan owned the 80s and Austin owned the 90s. It's like the uh San Francisco 49ers of the 80s and the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. That's just basically how it, it worked out. And like I said, it's always up for the debate, debate. That's another topic for another show, but Austin became. The biggest friggin' thing in the world at that time. Oh, and absolutely. Did. He that was that. why you tuned into Raw every week. That's what broke the cycle of Nitro always winning the ratings. It was holy shit. What is Austin gonna do to McMahon next? Yeah. And then let me and then let me go buy his T-shirt. Let me go buy the T-shirt that Vince is wearing and the merchandising on that. It's Austin also- 316 shirt, still the highest selling merch I think in WWE history, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Uh-huh. I mean in. Keeping with the Austin theme, we're gonna switch gears here because uh, we're only at so much time tonight to to yeah we could go on folks. that feud for a whole show we gotta we gotta move on but still so the, this, so the Austin McMahon was one of my picks we're gonna keep on the Austin theme with uh, one of yours here it's uh, Austin and the best there is the best there wasn't the best there ever will be Brett the Hitman Hart absolutely uh, this once again this is why this was a very tough topic for me to sit here and try and pick 10 of the greatest honestly I mean I could do this whole countdown just based on Mick Foley and Rick Flair matches alone uh, Flair mm-hmm. versus funk Flair versus Dustin Rhodes Mick Foley versus Triple H Mick Foley versus the rock I mean the list goes on and on so we're trying to branch out there a little bit but and yes, I know we were just talking about Austin and McMahon, but this is the feud that made Stone Cold blew up worldwide thanks to the Austin McMahon feud. This was the feud that made him Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes, I agree 100%. This is where it put his test, his, his test to wrestling and be able to hang with the veterans and to get that pushover. This was that feud. Yeah, and he was the perfect pairing for Brett. Brett, like we were saying earlier, Brett helped carry that company through the you know early part of the mid-90s and everything and into the latter part. Um, but Brett, you know, it was like, I don't know. He never had an opponent in WWE like Austin. 
Um, and I love the fact that Brett helped make Austin become what he is, what he became to be when, you know, at that time when Brett was coming up, Hogan and Flair were not doing those kind of favors for, for Austin. They were more concerned about their own personal shit. And Brett knew that Austin was the wave of the future. There's no doubt about it. Brett knew that shit was coming down one way or another. He was either going to retire or he was going to leave. But this guy, he recognized it because he was a freaking hitman. So there was that. But, I mean, I love the buildup. Brett had been out for a while. They had that awesome match at Survivor Series. And then the way that... Every week, that was another one of the reasons why you tuned into Raw. You wanted to see what Austin was going to do to Brett this week. And it was the first time we ever saw Brett turn into a heel. That's what also helped catapult Brett into the heel side. Right. Great. WrestleMania 13. Uh, I don't know. That's one of those gun to the head things, dude. It's like right up there for me with Macho Man versus uh, Ricky the Dragon. Austin versus Brett. Yeah. Just. You can't say enough good things about that match. Which was the pay-per-view? And I'm, I'm drawing a blank here because, you know, I'm old and senile. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where Austin passed out in the sharpshooter. WrestleMania 13. That was 13. That's what I thought. And Shamrock, Special Enforcer. Austin, as we Austin all did know. Not tap, he passed out. Famous story. He passed out. And that it, that's what's so iconic about that match. That match started with Brett being the face and Austin being the heel. And they were so good together that they made that transition right there during that match. Mm-hmm. By the time it was over, Brett was the heel and Austin was the face. And I just got to say real quick, because it's one of my favorite stories ever. I read Brett Hitman's fucking autobiography, one of the best wrestling books I've ever read. He went in to talk about the whole story of that match, and he said that he knew, because Brett was so good about putting, you know, high-end trauma matches in his head, he could just piece them together like Legos. He knew that they needed some juice in that match. So he went to Austin before the match, and it was all secret because Vince didn't want any juice. And he said to Austin, I think it will make the match so much better if you get some juice. And Austin had never bladed before, so he was very nervous about this. And Brett had said, you should never let anybody blade you, but I know what I'm doing. I'll do it for you. And they kept it under wraps the whole time. Vince actually bought it. When Austin gets busted open, you know, they sold it like he just smacked into the guardrail and busted his head open. Vince didn't know. And they didn't get fined or anything, because that's like back in uh, WrestleMania 8 when um, – Piper and uh, Piper and Hitman. That was, when Brett gets juice, that was all secret. But then Flair and Macho Man did in the main event, and Flair is so blatantly, obviously, like that Vince freaked out. Was like, <laughs> I find both of you five hundred bucks. So Brett knew how to do it. So Austin was like, okay, and he was right because if you go back, the match itself was awesome, but if you looked at that match without Stone Cold just pumping out the blood and passing out at the end like he did, it wouldn't have had the same impact. No, and that's still one of the most, one of the more iconic pictures, if you will, of Austin yeah. in the sharpshooter, agonizing pain, but just gushing. Yeah. I mean, that's one of them. like I said, that's one of the more vicious pictures I've seen next to Mick Foley. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I um, remember the old shirt, the blood from a stone t-shirt. Yep. I still want to get that. My boy, rest may he rest in power, Rusty Young. He had that shirt when we were uh, in high school, and I was always so fucking jealous. <laughs> Here's to you, buddy. <laughs> so, keeping with uh, with Brett, we're gonna keep on the Brett train, the the Hitman train here. We're gonna do a little sweet chin music, as you know, my all time favorite. Dun, 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 dun. Ha, ha. <laughs> uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. Uh, as you know, Shawn Michaels is my all-time. Like I can sit, like you can talk about Foley. I can talk about Michaels for for hours and his matches. I, I know you're a sexy boy, Dave. Hey, hey, I'm married. This this is a this is a kids-friendly show here. Yeah, just because you're married doesn't mean you can't be a sexy boy. This is fair. I can't just. I can't just. Is, hey, hands off the merchandise. But what if I want to buy the merchandise? No, I meant you know you're married. Chicks can't touch you. It's yeah. <laughs> unless, unless they have money and they're old. <laughs> hey, you got to talk to your wife about that. If she wants to pimp you out, that's that's her business. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> man, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, Brett the Hitman Hart. I mean, really, that could be a whole show in itself. WrestleMania 12, oh, yeah. Iron Man match. Yeah, I mean, we'll just start right there. I mean, the amount of training that these two had to go through mm. 60 minutes in a ring. And at the end of it, to go to overtime for Michaels yeah. to fucking come out with the belt. Sudden death, dude. It was awesome. Oh, man. That was another one of those that I will never forget watching that live. Watching Brett grab the belt and walking down the aisle thinking the match was over. And I believe <laughs> right? it was Monsoon who came into the ring and told uh, Earl, Earl Hebner, you know, match is not over. There has to be a winner. You are correct, my friend. Uh, indeed, was the right. WWF president at the time, Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon, came down and gave the order for sudden death, and we all know how that turned out. Um, yeah, that is Iron Man match. As far as how incredibly athletic both of those guys were, it's unmatched by really anything, in mm -hmm. my opinion. I agree. I a lot of guys back in the day, Brett talks about this once again in his book, um, that you know they, it wasn't an uncommon thing for guys to do sixty-minute, you know, house shows and stuff. Um, Harley Race, Terry Funk, you know, the old school dudes, Ric Flair. That was not an uncommon thing. Brett came up in that era of doing that. You know, him and Dynamite Kid we were doing that uh, up in Stampede, Calgary style. Yes, they were. You know? Um, so they, Brett headed into that match knowing that he knew how to orchestrate that match. And there's no doubt about it. Brett, in my opinion, I think Brett was calling the spots for the most part. Um, we well, also know that at the end of that match, a very controversial moment did take place as Michael's sitting there. The boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels. He looks over at Hebner and Brett's sitting there. Like Brett had just tried to like shake his hand, and be like, "Hey, good match." Well, Michaels wasn't having it, and Michaels looks at Hebner and goes, "Tell him to get out of my fucking ring." And Brett was like, "Dude, really?" If you <laughs> like, if you get a chance, go listen to uh, Grilling with Jr. Wow. He's got a segment on there with uh, Conrad from '97 to '98 about Shawn Michaels. Yeah, and what a 
dick he is. Yeah. Before he found God and got his life back together. How much of an asshole he was to people in the ring, but he could do no wrong by Vince because he was Vince's boy. Shawn well, Michaels getting paid three quarters of a million dollars a year, can't do wrong, not showing up to things, mm. things like that with Brett, you know, uh, tell him to get the fuck out of my ring, go to the Montreal screw job, which we can spend weeks on because it's yeah. still talking <laughs> Forget about, about one four hour show. Yeah. No, the screw job. Everybody knows about the screw job. We don't have to get too much into that. The greatest thing about this feud, and this is why this is. I mean, once again, if we were going to say, what's the greatest, what's the second greatest, I would put this uh, probably number two because it was just as interesting to find out what they were going to do in the ring as it was to find out what was happening behind the scenes. Right. Because this is the feud that went on for years. And I mean years, like... I think it was not too long ago. They just finally made up in the ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few years Uh, back. Yeah. Even when Shawn Michaels won the Slammy for the best WrestleMania match or the best match or whatever, he's like, I won that match. Like just kind of a little bit more digging. Yeah. Wow. He was good at what he did when it came to being a fucking prick. No offense to the sexy boy. Love. No, no, no. He was a fucking asshole. (laughs) Well, I guess. According, you know, I was listening to that podcast by JR and, you know, give them credit for this because JR has all the stories because he was there. But when they were going into that Montreal job, Brett was saying something about, you know, I'll lay the belt down. I'll lay over for you here if you do this. And he's like, Sean's like, I would never do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Sean, um, Brett went out of his way to basically say, hey, I, you know, I, I know we've had our differences, but, you know, I'm. Yeah, I'm happy to put you over and blah blah blah. And Michaels yes. was basically like, "Thanks, but I'm not going to do the same for you." And the the crazy thing is that the original plan for that whole feud was actually going to be the main event for Mania from 12 through like uh, maybe even 14. I think that uh, I think the original plan was okay. So they had the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. WrestleMania 13, the main event was supposed to be Brett versus Michaels. We all know how that turned out. Brett was pissed, and everyone else was, including Taker and everybody, when Sean came out and said, Oh, my knees hurt. Oh, no. Your computer's (laughs) hurt. (laughs) Technical difficulties, people. Oh, wow. I'm trashing this place. Okie dokie. We're back. Computer's got sweet chin music. (laughs) Hey, hey. Hey. This is why I need a, uh, what do they call it in movies? Like a grip or an assistant? Yes. I'm not good with this shit. But anywho, so we're back. Yeah, but um, yeah. I I definitely put this one up. Like you said, I'm going to go with you on this one. Put it at number two for the feud. Just because because of the the longevity of it. And you always had that in the back of your mind. Like when Michaels came out, when Brett came out, like what's going to happen? Are they going to make up? Is Brett gonna clock him like he fucking knocked out Vince McMahon in Montreal? Mm-hmm. Sean yeah. kick kick his teeth out. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, they had matches well before uh, WrestleMania 12. They had that great ladder match uh, back when Brett was still the IC champ, and Brett always recognized the fact that Michaels wasn't an undeniable, incredible talent. 
-hmm. And Brett always wanted to work with him, but Michaels was Michaels, and that's really what it was. Yeah. Well, I got to meet him. He was pretty cool when I met him. So, you know, real quick before we wrap this up, I just want to say, I think a lot of people forget if you go back and actually watch the infamous Survivor Series '97 Montreal Screwjob match. Nobody really remembers the actual match because everyone is only focused on what happens at the end when Brett spits on Vince and, you know, the fake sharpshooter thing and having her ring the fucking bell. Um, but the match itself before that was badass. Oh, I know. And but I'm no sure. one remembers because everyone just remembers the finish. That was it. So. And I'm sure you you know reading, reading Brett's book of what really led up to – that match being Brett's one of Brett's last matches and Vince backing out of his contract with Brett. That was, well, that was it. I mean, the story goes, apparently, you know, Vince has his say, Brett has his, I wasn't there. So I don't know, but Brett was under the impression that they were, the match at Montreal was supposed to end in a double DQ because DX was going to come down and the Hart foundation, Owen, Davey boy, uh, Jim the Anvil were going to come down. The ref was just going to call it. And then the next night on Raw, Brett was going to drop the belt. The other problem with this whole situation was I found this out from uh, uh, Jim Cornette that apparently Brett also had these big stipulations where like, well, I can't drop the belt in Canada, so right. I have to be in America. And the thing is, which, which could have avoided the whole fucking situation was when Undertaker – Went to McMahon and was like, okay, Brett and Sean can't see it eye to eye. So just have Brett drop the belt to me or drop the belt to Austin or whatever. Right, and exactly. Problems off. But we know how that all turned Keep out. Keep your fucking nose out of it, Taker. Uh-huh. Again, all of these that we're talking about, we can go on and on for hours on these topics. Uh, again, these are just our picks, what we feel are, are the feuds. And this one right here coming up. I mean, they've had some of the greatest TLC matches. Yeah, I know we um, we concurred on our picks, but this was my pick. This was um, a great pick. I mean, it, I mean, for those of you who don't know, if you don't know who these people are, well, shame on you. Go fall on a bed of thumbtacks. Right? Dudley <laughs> Boys, Hardy Boys, and Edge and Christian. I mean, their ladder matches at WrestleMania is for, for the tag titles, the triple threats. It's undeniably the best ladder matches wrestlemania 17 dude um a lot of fans feel and i can't argue it it was probably the greatest wrestlemania of all time you had um this was when we really got to see edge and christian the hardys and the dudleys all show what they could do together um and i know leading up to this match it was a great buildup, too, because they were doing the rando nights on Raw where, like, Edge and Christian want to have to fight the Dudleys in a chairs match. And then it was the Hardy Boys versus the Dudleys in a tables match. And then it was Edge and Christian versus the Hardys in a ladder match. And then they just smashed it all together for Mania, and it was so good. So good. <laughs> I think for me, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong because I know you will. I believe it was at WrestleMania 15 was their first around that one of their first battles for a ladder match for the titles where Jeff Hardy went off like that 25 foot step ladder. Was that at WrestleMania 15? 
15. I can't even remember. Wait, are you talking about like Edge and Christian versus? It was, uh, a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, not there yet. So, so no, it must have not have been. Must yeah, have been no, a no. Interview. Because uh, of course, Edge and Christian came in as um, fucking Gangrel's minions. The Brood. The yeah. Brood. Yes. The Brood. The brood. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, and speaking of WrestleMania 15, oh, dude, I think that was actually the introduction of the Brood, or if I'm not mistaken, remember it was the Hell in a Cell match, Big Boss Man versus Taker? And yeah. Big Boss Man gets supposedly hung. <laughs> you you can see it like on the back of his jacket. Because <laughs> they had Edge and Christian like come down from the ceiling and jump on the fucking cage and set up Boss Man's noose or whatever the fuck it was. But uh, yeah, that was fucking hilarious. Right up there with um, uh, Al Snow and Big Boss Man. Speaking of the Boss Man, they're infamous cage inside a cage match with the dogs where the dogs all pooped and pissed all over the floor. <laughs> there was a part where the dogs were humping. And <laughs> Sorry, we got easily sidetracked on this show. Well, that's our OnlyFans account show. We're going to have to change the time. It's already 8.30. We cannot do all this in an hour. There's no way. <laughs> we just keep going. You know, it is what it is. There's no what? one behind me. I'm the boss. I'm hey, the boss. Hey, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the... The risks that the Hardy Boys would take, and then Edge and Christian and the Dudleys, all within any match they did. I mean, I remember when Edge, I think he speared Jeff Hardy off of hanging from the belt. Oh, yeah. What a great spot, right? Like, oh my God, like spear, like he's free like, hanging from the belt, and Edge comes off the yellow ladder. Oh my God, Don killed him. Yeah, they just all meshed so well together. I was already a huge fan of the Dudley Boys from being a you know ECW junkie before they had even gotten into WWF. And so I already knew what they were capable of. And then we saw, you know, the Hardys had already paid their dues. I still remember when uh, the initial, very first Monday Night Raw, the ECW invasion, if you will, when RBD uh -huh. fought an unknown Jeff Hardy at the time. And it was total squash, but that was him paying his dues. It was awesome. So I knew these kids had potential, and then I found out more about them. They were showcasing them and stuff, and they turned out to be one of the biggest tag teams of all time. And then you throw Edge and Christian on top of it. It just had, you know, it was the best pot of gumbo you could ever hope for because they all just mixed so well so well and i can still remember watching that very first tlc at your old apartment and all of us just being like whoa right they nailed it they fucking killed it they just mm, everything you wanted it's still once again one of the greatest WrestleMania matches, hands down, of all time. And, and not just WrestleMania. I mean, in any matches they threw at a pay-per-view. I mean, mm -hmm. when we were in Hartford with Foley's last match with, with Triple H, they, they, they were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe they fought Edge and Christian that night as well. Yeah, you had, you know, it was great timing. It was just the way the work the world works sometimes. You had three Hall of Fame tag teams all at once just kind of coming to their own. and. Yep. That's not to take anything away from the Dudleys. They had already really proved their worth in ECW. There's no doubt about it. Dudley boys were the greatest team, tag team in the history of ECW. I don't care what anybody oh, says. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Dudleys for life. But they just, you know, 
the Hardy Boys had proved their worth, but you know they weren't up to that level yet. And then and your Christian were still coming up, and they all just worked so well together. And especially for something for them to have the debut of that feud, which carried on for a while on Raw, SmackDown, other pay per views, of course. Um, right off the bat, they just killed it so good that it will forever stand the test of time. No doubt. No doubt. So this next one is one of my picks. It's going to be a quick one. It wasn't really too big of a feud like the Austin McMahons or the Bretts and mm. Austins like that. But to me, growing up, this was a, always a good one. The Flair oh. and the Beach Stinger from uh, the WCW days. It was just one of those where every every Saturday morning or every every major event at that time, like war games, it was always Sting versus Flair, Sting's team versus Flair's team. And it was just a great entertainment value. Yeah, it wasn't really a feud per se, but to me, just the buildup and the makeup of what they could do together is what made it. Well, I think they had a, they, you know, I could call that a, a good feud. Yeah, they had some, they had a history there over their time. I love this. This was back in the day too when, WWF obviously was the bigger business, if you will, bigger company at the time. But NWA, WCW, whatever you want to call it at that time, they were putting on so much better quality wrestling matches than what WWF was doing. Um, You know, when we were all just sitting there watching Hulkster and Sherloff, these guys were doing you know, big spots. You had Harley Race. You had Ric Flair. You had, you know, somebody Dustin else. Rose, Arn Anderson, the Four Horsemen. Yeah. And I love this feud because Sting was up and coming. I mean, he, he started out being in a tag team with fucking Ultimate Warrior. Yep. And um, Sting, obviously, they call him the icon for a reason. He turned out to be one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And Excuse me. Him and Flair just, oh, they work so well. Um, My biggest thing I love the most about this, because I I will say, I know I've read a lot that, you know, people will say this and that about Flair in his time, but he recognized, there's no doubt, he recognized the talent that Sting had, and he was willing to put Sting over. Mm -hmm. They made some iconic matches, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, their last call-out on TNA, uh, Sting was in the ring. He was calling Hogan the best wrestler ever. And then Flair came out and won one more match with Sting. And then uh, as opposed to getting Hogan in the ring, Flair wanted Sting. And if Sting won, or Sting lost, and you know, Sting was to officially retire and never step foot in the ring again. Mm. Yeah, uh, but even at that, like, like I said, um, going way back – Talk about two guys that totally benefited from each other um, mm-hmm. back in the early days. Sting gained huge exposure by having a feud with someone like Ric Flair. And Flair, from what I understand, was at a point in his career when they, you know, he first started working with Sting that, you know, Flair had worked with everybody. So he was kind of looking at it like, who who can I make a good run with? And Boy, was Sting ever piece <laughs> he was looking for in that puzzle. That's what damn show up. Speaking of the Nate. Oh, and by the way, whoa, on both ends, Stinger and Flair. Yes. 
Well, Stinger Stinger was more the uh, woo, and Flair was more the right. Stinger had the woo. I'm the Stinger, and I'll sting you. And then, well, we all know about Flair, but yes. But this Flair feud, Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah, this was one of those why I bring it up again. Why this is such a hard subject for me to break down the topic of tonight's show because I, you could easily say that this was the greatest feud in wrestling history. I I wouldn't argue anybody saying that. No, I wouldn't either. Yeah, Flair and Steamboat were just the pen. Like, the coup de gras of everything you would want from a professional wrestling match. The creme de la creme. The creme de la creme. Uh-huh. Thank you. That was the term I was searching for. So thank you. I mean, they were just so fucking good that if you go back and watch really any of their matches, you know how everybody knows, you know, during any typical professional wrestling match. Even the best guys in the world, you'll see them every once in a while trying to cover their mouth, but you can see them trying to call spots to the other guy. Mm-hmm. Flair and Steamboat, you don't see that in any of their matches. They didn't have to speak. They didn't have to verbally communicate because they it was like they, they could read each other's minds. They were in sync with what they were doing. It was, it's like for lack of a better term, it was, it was poetry in motion. It was like a ballet watching those two do what they could do. And I, I concur. <laughs> and this goes back to my point from earlier, as we were just talking about Sting and Flair, this was the definition of why actual wrestling was so much better back then on the WCW NWA side than it was in WWF. No doubt about it. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, the, the 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 talent, the match quality, they were doing it for the sport, not yeah. for the overall dollar figure or whatever the other motivation lied with the WWE side, uh, the WWE, the, the WCW side, and the NWA side was just pure raw fucking talent. Yeah, the old Jim Crockett days and stuff. They they focus more on actual wrestling. Whereas you had the WWF, which it made sense because it was very profitable for Vince. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 80s, it was all about the gimmicks. It was all about the, you know, didn't matter that the match wasn't all that great. I mean, I'm sorry. A lot of people want to say Andre versus Hulk is the greatest match of all time. And I understand because it is one of the most iconic moments, the slam. But if you it's a moment, it's a moment. It's not the match. match. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, you could barely move back then. So, I mean, you put that match up against Steamboat and and Macho Man. Yeah, yeah. Macho Man and Steamboat tear that match apart. Of course, yeah. Or Steamboat and Flair. Like to your point, it wasn't all about. Yes, the WCW and the NWA. They had their little. They had their little bit of a gimmick, Mm. but they didn't have the full fledged. It was gimmick first and then match. Right, exactly. They focus way more on the actual matches versus the gimmick where WWE was all about the gimmick. But, hey, it worked. Vince made a shit ton of money off it, so can't say he was wrong for doing it. And next to that, we all got to see um, King Kong Bundy squash Little Beaver at WrestleMania 3. So, (laughs) thanks, Vince. 
probably my favorite WrestleMania moment of all time. <laughs> aside from even, I'll even say I was there. I know I rub it in. I was at WrestleMania 14. I saw Austin with a belt. But I think my favorite WrestleMania moment was King Kong Bundy versus Little Beaver. I know Kevin Ewing. If you're out there watching, you will concur. Well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Little Beaver. But I will put Flair and Steamboat up with Michaels and Brett and the great one of the greatest feuds. Yeah, you just had such incredible matches between them. Um, always the just leaving, you on, leaving you on the edge of your seat, just never knowing what's going to come next, who's going to win. And like I said, they just they float so well together. It was almost like they had some sort of telepathy. Mm -hmm. I swear. So as we make our way, we each have two more picks of that we've chosen. Mm -hmm. I'm so, glad you're saving one of mine in particular. I think I'm saving that one for the last. I'm that. saying, that, well, yeah. the last two. There, I you'll you'll see, of course. Yeah. Um, speaking of gimmicks and matches, this next feud that I picked, I think, hurt every kid in the '80s, '90s at some point. Because when you saw these two get together as the Mega Powers, you were like, holy shit, Mega Forces. It's Hulkster. It's Macho Man. Two good guys. And then it fell apart. Oh, like, yeah. Brother. Like, you see, yeah, I did. You know, it started at WrestleMania 4 with the tournament for the undisputed WWF Heavyweight Championship with Hulkster. Helping Macho Man with a chair shot to the back of DiBiase. Remember, Hulkster and Andre got disqualified for chair shots even though no one gets hit with a chair right <laughs> <laughs> andre and hulkster just like let's hit chairs oh we're disqualified but then that's that's what really started that that friendship if you will between macho man and hogan and then the jealousy of of macho man with elizabeth <laughs> and hogan and i think it was on uh a saturday night's main event elizabeth got knocked out because savage got thrown into her outside the ring Hogan brought her back to stage, and then Macho Man jumped Hogan. In the the ER, yes, this, yes, uh, they had the ER big, with the crash in the hospital right room. Now. There, Macho Man convinced that Hulkster and uh, Miss Elizabeth were running a little scandalous behind his back. But yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up, I mean, I'm sure you were in the same boat. Hulkster was was the guy, was your guy. Of course, if you and, came from our era. Hogan was the man. If you were a kid in the 80s, that's how you got into wrestling. I mean, mm -hmm. It's undeniable. And then when you saw these two unbeatable forces come together, as a kid, you're excited. And then you see them disintegrate, especially as a kid in the 80s, you're like, what's going on? Oh, when the mega powers exploded, I was yeah, like, WrestleMania 5? This can't be. Right. <laughs> It reminded me of like all the, you know what? I, I gotta say, all those years later, what was it uh, when they did the uh, boiler room brawl match, Mankind versus the Undertaker, when Paul Bearer turned on the Undertaker? I had never felt that kind of like heartache in my life since the Mega Powers exploded. Mm -hmm. That's how. That's how just haunting it was for me. But you had the, you know, at that time, yeah, Macho Man, Hogan, no doubt about it. Two biggest guys going. I mean, Hulkster um, kicked out of a flying elbow drop at WrestleMania 15 at Trump Plaza. Right? 
I love the whole breakdown of the mega powers exploding. How could you not, you know, as we were seeing the, the whole big thing in the ER when Hogan and Miss Elizabeth are there and Hogan is trying to console her and Macho Man comes in. He's like, let me tell you something, I'm a girl here. And I remember like being a kid watching that and be like, Whoa. Exactly. No, they can't be doing this. No, because it's Macho and Hulk's chair. They're supposed to be the mega powers. And you know, I don't. I honestly gotta say, I don't think either one of their legacies would have been as great as they are today if it hadn't been for that. Like, I think I'm gonna disagree with you on that. Really. Here's 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 our first disagreement. You think Hulkster could have been as big as he was without Macho? Yes. I don't think I don't think Macho could have been as big without Hogan in that. Ooh. Because we just because we just mentioned it. Hogan Hogan has that iconic slam at WrestleMania three. Right. He but slams on he slams Andre again at WrestleMania four. Yeah, but they get disqualified. I know. Yeah, yeah, that, that. But if it wasn't for Hogan, Macho Man wouldn't have won the belt at four. Yeah, but that's just the way the storyline went. I, I mean, in terms of their overall popularity. I still think Hogan would have been a popul as popular as he is today without Macho Man, not the other way around. So you think if Macho Man was, say Macho Man was out of the picture completely back then. He was never yeah. even in WWF. Do you think that Hogan actually would have been as over as he was without Macho Man's presence? Hundred percent. Wow. A hundred percent. I don't know, man. I'm a bit more down with a macho man myself, and I gotta say that I'd rip my shirt off, but no one wants to see these impe impeccable pecs. Nah, it's not cold enough for these nips to cut diamonds anymore. That's the best I can do with this chest. <laughs> so nobody wants to see that. But I don't know, man. I'm just going to disagree. I, I I really think that they added to each other's legacy. I think without one, the other one wouldn't have been as good. And I, I mean that on both sides. Because there's no doubt about it that Macho Man was obviously the better fucking wrestler between the two of them. Well, uh, yeah. He, he, he was more agile. He, he could do drop, more things. Body slam. Nothing else. Macho Man. I mean, I'm sorry. WrestleMania 3. Macho Man versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. If you're out there, and you want to, you want to turn, how, learn how to be a professional wrestler. Watch that match. You will never get anything better than Ricky the Dragon versus Macho Man, as far as two people who can show what the fuck they can do in the ring. Yep. But you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you. I think Hogan would have been the icon and still. Macho Man, not so much. If you want to put your input in, go to Authorups Tuesday at Gmail. I always love Macho Man better than Hulkster, so fuck him. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you want to send us your opinions of what you think of Hulkster and Macho Man, who would be the bigger man without the other man? Authorups Tuesday at Gmail.com. Send us that email. Let us know. We'll reveal your secrets next week. We are not done, though. We are okay. not done. We have another four hours of show to go. <laughs> <laughs> So we, got any Adderall? I could use it if you. Yeah. <laughs> so we got two more on yours. I'm debating which one to throw up here. You know which one I want you to bring up last already. I already told you that was my number one. Yeah, I thought so. So the other day go. when you were like, "Hey, yes, here we go." Funker and Cactus Jack. Yep, that was my pick. 
me personally, I did not know about Funk until he came into WWF when him and Foley were feuding with the New Age Outlaws. That's that when I learned about Funker. Kind of criminal, in my opinion. He was an NWA heavyweight champion, dude. The, the Funk Brothers, dude. I know Tony about him now. Terry, One of the most influential wrestlers in wrestling history. No doubt about it. I was always a Funker fan, man, coming up. Um, I actually had my, I'll call him my Uncle Mike. He was actually my godfather. I He had a black box that yeah, black box back. <laughs> Spit it out, Junior. Today, Junior, he had a black box. I always got to go over to Uncle Mike's house and watch pay per views and this and that. He uh, was the one watch. that like tuned me into when I was a kid to like the shit that you weren't seeing on TV, the Harley right. races and Ric Flair's and shit at that time because Ric Flair, we didn't get TBS, we didn't see NWA, WCW here on good old. Crap cut. So, um, I grew up being a hardcore Terry Funk fan. Once again, gun to my head, greatest wrestler of all time. It's the Funker. I love that man. What Foley and him did in their time, this is why I made this one of my topics. Um, you know, the, the, the death match tournament, yeah, Japan. that is the match that really helped Foley big time get you know, more exposure than what he had had because WCW did not properly showcase his talents. He had some great matches as Cactus Jack and WCW, no doubt about it, but they gave him a horrible push. Bischoff didn't know what the hell to do him, do with him. Nobody saw anything in him. That match helped him get into ECW. And then obviously ECW helped fully get into WWF. There's no doubt about it, but Funk versus Flair, I picked this one as well because not only have I always loved their matches, you had uh, um, Raven and Cactus versus Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk in ECW. One of the greatest matches ever. Mm -hmm. So I don't care what anybody says. Fucking rules. Um, and the fact that they, they, they tore themselves apart all across the world. Japan. America. Remember the Monday Night Raw match with uh, Foley? The only match where he went as Mick Foley, at least back then, versus the Funker to determine who would be the number one contender for Austin's WWF championship. And they put on one of the best matches ever that one night on Raw. Um, I got to see Terry and Cactus win the tag team titles at WrestleMania 14, the dumpster match. But their time in ECW, their time all over the world, and the fact that they are like the best of friends. That's even uh, better. Cactus. Like, you can kick the shit out of each other. I mean, you can, yeah. look, you, you can look on our intro, and there's a clip there real quick of Terry branding Cactus Jack from Japan. Branding Iron, ECW arena. ECW, yeah. The spots ever, right? I mean, but to me, I mean, seeing them and what they could do as a tag team, when they came into the WWF and started to feud in the dumpster dumpster matches and all that, yes, they're great friends. Yes, they kicked the shit out of each other. Mm -hmm. And those Japan matches are just untouchable. Well, how about when uh, Mick accidentally lit Terry on fire mm -hmm. at ECW Arena with the old uh, steel chair wrapped around with a kerosene-soaked T-shirt? That was a little yep. big thing. Uh, Foley and... 
Funk and Paul Heyman all had to go to court over that one. But yeah, I just loved because here's the thing. Once again, like we were talking about before, okay, I could have made this whole countdown out of just Flair and Foley matches, really, to be honest with you. We just saved some space for Brett and HBK and Austin and yep. Vince. But uh, Terry versus Ric Flair, one of the greatest feuds ever. You know, they had what Mick Foley calls the greatest match of all time, the old I quit match in the old pre-WCW days. I just love them so much. I go back and watch the death match, the finals of the death match tournament. That just always holds a special place in my heart. I love those guys to death. So, yeah, Funk Foley, you couldn't go wrong with any. No, you can't go wrong with that. Yep. No. Hard, hardcore icons, hardcore, hardcore legends, best of friends. Kind of like us in high school. Be, beat the shit out of each other and go have a beer afterwards. Good old Tromopoline days. You know it. Uh, real quick, I know we talked about uh, the backstage ER error or the ER setup with Austin, with uh, Hogan and Savage. One thing we did not bring up is the, bed, the bedpan shot Austin gave McMahon. Yeah. That today makes me laugh nonstop. Oh, no doubt. One of the Foley in there with the balloons and Mr. Sockle and then Austin coming and playing a doctor and ding with the bedpan. Yeah, I don't know if you happen <laughs> to check out uh, Sunday night. A&E had the first part of the eight-part series, the WWE biographies. They they started off with the Austin one. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, so good. Check it out. I will. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got one two of the more greatest moments in Raw history. Foley with the whistle. Ooh, and Vince, damn it, leave. And then the bedpan. Classic. It basically got a mild concussion because it was an actual bedpan. Probably, all right, best moment on Raw ever. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> we got two more left for you. One of mine, one of uh, Sir Jack Torrance over there. I left this one for last because, again, we can go on and on about these two and the matches that they've had with each other and their feud. But it's the game. Triple H. I'm going to get you, Rocky. Yeah. Uh, and Brony smack down, laying the smacketh down on your candy ass. If you smell what digs is cooking, I just gotta say real quick because we just brought up Triple H. People our age will know. I know my boy Hunter Lewis will know this. The the hog slop match. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring up old school Triple H. When that one person decks him in the head with a soda bottle and he keeps <laughs> falling in the pig shit, that's how Triple H got his start, folks. <laughs> oh, man. Hunter Hearst Helmsley from Greenwich, Connecticut. Terrorizing, if you will. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, this was um, kind of a tough one for me. I'm not going to lie because I kind of think we should have grouped this one with a triple threat, if you will. I thought this feud was just as good as Foley versus Triple H and Foley versus The Rock. So it's that's also, a tough one. Yeah. Also could have did a DX versus The Nation hmm. as a whole. Well, you think about that time when Austin got his neck fucked up, when he was gone, it was Triple H, The Rock, and Foley that were, you know, picking up the slack there. Mm-hmm. For the company, and like I say, all three of those feuds, Triple H versus Foley, 
Rock versus Foley and Foley or, I'm sorry, Rock versus Triple H. They're all like on the same level for me. So this was a hard one for me. Not gonna lie. I mean, they had that infamous SummerSlam '98 match, Madison Square Garden, the ladder match for the, the IC belt. Rock triple H the baseball slide, and Rock didn't get his hands up in time and conked him right in the forehead. Right. And I mean, hell, we all well, you know the whole deal with me and the Rock back in that day. Wasn't a fan. I don't care what everyone says. None of us were. I fucking hated The Rock. Great heel, but he took shitty bumps and he took the worst pedigree ever. I don't care we were the only three in the stands that would get up and chant for Rocky Socks. And then retired. Old and man stewing himself, Kevin. When Kevin and I were to Raw, we did that. We got stuff thrown at us. He got called a hippie. We got soda cans thrown at us. It was great. I still remember the night that uh, we, yeah, we went to No Way Out there in Hartford and me and Kevin were looking for a place to fucking burn a bowl and we wound up in some like crack alley <laughs> we were dedicated here what can i say i mean i gotta i mean triple h one of the greatest wwf superstars ever to grace the squared circle and okay. the rock too i mean the yeah, no. i mean going back and watching how the rock can handle himself in the ring but also cut his promos and improvise on the fly with on the mic in the combativeness with Triple H back and forth. It's something you don't see now. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, they had chemistry. No yeah, thank you. And That's like the word I, I want, chemistry. Even though I wasn't a rock fan, I'm not going to sit here and say he didn't work in that whole era because he did. He was a big factor of that whole thing, obviously. Um, he was a great heel because I – Fucking hated him. <laughs> so bad. So bad. I was an Austin and Foley guy. Um, but yeah, his his feud with Triple H, no doubt. They, yeah. I put it up there. Like I said, I was just a little uh, divided because you could put that right up there with Foley and Triple H, Foley and The Rock, and Rock and Triple H. They're all in the same category as far as I'm concerned. But once again, hats off to him because those were the guys that helped carry that company when... They went from, holy shit, we have Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's the greatest thing that wrestling's ever seen since Hulkster, as far as right. goes, to Austin, his neck is fucked. Who's going to carry the ball while he's out? That was Triple, Triple H, H, H and the Rock. So, and then you know? when Triple H destroyed and his squad. And Foley. Yes. Foley's not part of this conversation. <laughs> Foley's a part of every conversation. Mr. But Foley, if you're watching, bang, bang. I love you. <laughs> but when Triple H tore his quad in that match on Raw, yeah. The Rock is the one who helped carry while Triple H was recovering. And then and that, Jericho. Jericho, and Jericho, yes. Mm. We, we didn't like Jericho back in the day either. Let's, we let's did call not, it but now day. I love that man. Yeah. But, I mean, have you ever heard a bigger pop from when someone came back than when Triple H came back from the quad? Oh, like Madison Square Garden? No. That was never it a still pop. gives me just I'll watch that tonight and I'll, and I'll get goosebumps like yeah the amount of work that man put in to battle that what could have what should have been a career-ending injury yeah no and doubt. that pop when he came back in was it's probably the biggest and loudest ovation i've ever heard oh dude just remember like that moment when you know we didn't know at the time watching it live um that he had torn his quad but he 
if you watch that scene again, when Jericho puts him in the walls on the table, and you know, at now after the fact, you know that his quad was completely shredded. Yeah. Dude, the pain, I can't even imagine what he was dealing with there. But I don't like Jericho, believe Jericho. I read his I read all Jericho's books as well. Jericho books, I highly recommend. Uh, but he was like, I was really nervous about putting him in that holes. And I guess Triple H was like, no, no, we're on TV. Just go, go. And he laid in the walls, dude. And oh, that's I why he's the game. Him. Yeah. <laughs> that's rehearsed knee rule before the pedigree. Yeah. Uh -huh. The little things you guys don't pick up on now of what happens. Watch yeah, we're weird like, like that, though. Yeah, but watching all Triple H match, it's true. It's damn true. Little shit. Little if he shit. goes for the pedigree before he hits his three knees, it gets reversed. But after the third knee, he goes for the pedigree. Right. Game, set, match, champion. If you watch enough of this shit like we did back then, you picked up on the routine. There's no doubt about it. Um, and the botches that we'll get into later. Oh, that's next week. I can't wait for the All botch. Right. Well, let's, let's, we'll tease that in a minute because we got one last feud to go through, and you've been waiting. I can see you licking your chops. You've been waiting for this one since we talked about this last week. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Raven and Tommy Dreamer, ECW, the greatest feud in ECW history. Yeah. Take yum, away, yum. Sir. All I can say about this food, feud. Food. I like food. Well, I'm kind of hungry, yes. But <laughs> as far as feuds go, yum, yum, yum. This, yes, you, you totally nailed it, what you just said. The greatest feud, hands down, in ECW history. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven. Oh. Just everything I ever wanted as a wrestling fan. A simple, simple backstory that led up to this feud. Tommy and Raven went to the same summer camp. Apparently, Beulah McGillicuddy was a little fat chick back then that wasn't getting many eyes from the boys as well. And Tommy was the pretty boy athlete. Raven was the outcast. And God, how I love this feud. So good. What a great I, view. I, yeah, what's that? I, I, got, I got no words. I got no words for how great this feud was. I and just love the simplicity of it. Exactly. So now, to, to your point of Miss Beulah McGillicuddy, fast forward many, many years later. Mm. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, she was a big part of the whole overall feud mm -hmm. as well. My other favorite thing about this feud, aside from how well it was put together, was the fact that Dreamer never beat Raven until Raven was about to jump ship from ECW mm -hmm. to WCW, Wrestlepalooza. And I love the way that they just made every. Fucking time. Dreamer would come that close to beat Raven. And then somehow Stevie Richards, uh, the Blue Meanie, uh, the original Dudley brothers, not the Dudley boys, but the old Dudley brothers. That was part of it as well. And then, I mean, dude, you had the part where, what was it? Um, uh, he weighed 95. No, no, I'm sorry. 
Uh, ECW House Party 1996, one of the most infamous moments in the entire history of extreme championship wrestling as Raven's girlfriend at the time, Miss Beulah McGillicuddy, still my favorite woman in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, I love Miss Beulah. I don't care. Love Miss Beulah. But anyways. That's so for another deals. What's that? So that's for another show. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but Beulah in that segment reveals to Raven, who she's supposed to be his boyfriend at the time, that she was pregnant. And Raven freaks out thinking it was Stephen Richards' kid. And then she's like, no, it's Tommy's. And then Tommy came out. And one of the coolest nights ever, that was when the, the dude in the crowd had the Tommy use my sign. Yes. sign. And Tommy did, in fact, hit Raven with it, and it turned out there was an actual real stop sign locked in there. I mean, dude, they had the the infamous chair shot heard around the world when mm -hmm. Raven was handcuffed up to the cell, and Tommy finally got a little bit of revenge on Raven. He got a good run on that shot, too. Those guys, I love that. I just... I know, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to sit here and try and say it was on the level of like, you know, Austin versus McMahon by any means, but Raven versus Dreamer just had it all. I love the fact that it ran for as long as it did with Tommy constantly somehow getting screwed over and never getting the win. And then that, that day came when he finally got that pin on Raven and it was just like, it, it reminded me of, the Patriots back in the 80s. Uh, we watched them suck for so long and then into the 90s. And then here we are. Like, yeah, we won the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, going back to what we said earlier, uh, like the WWF had their gimmicks, then talent. WCW had their talent with little gimmicks. Mm -hmm. But the ECW guys did it for the business. Exactly. They did, they they did it for it. the ECW and Paul Heyman to succeed. They had guys, you know, Tommy Dreamer letting himself get destroyed night after night and lose to Raven at every pay-per-view. Guys doing their own merch. Taz selling his own merch out of the trunk of his mm -hmm. car. These guys did it for the business. They didn't do exactly. it for the paychecks. They did it because they loved to be in the ring. They loved to fight. And the Dreamer-Raven era feud proves that without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, this is also the feud that, to me... Um really showcase the fact that Paul Heyman is the mad genius of professional wrestling. There's no doubt about it. Um, once again, I just love the simplicity of the storyline. These mm -hmm. were two guys that supposedly hate each other at a young age, never got along, and then they're fighting over a girl, and they just kept going, and so many great, great just bloody matches and like i said the fact that they always they went that long with dreamer always losing and they always found a way for raven to somehow screw him over we're talking like two or three years i think it was mm -hmm. easily just kept beating dreamer kept beating dreamer and then to make it even cooler raven goes to wcw makes his money figures out wcw sucks the very, very first premiere episode of ECW's old Friday show on TNN. We all know how that turned out. <laughs> um, it, it was the Dudley boys were leaving for the WWE. 
And they were the ECW Tag Team Champions. And the storyline was, oh, the Dudley's going to take the ECW Tag Team belts to WWE. And so Raven comes back that night to join Tommy Dreamer because Tommy started the match by himself getting destroyed. And then Raven shows up, helps Tommy win, and <laughs> turns around, and they're the Tag Team Champs. Oh, man, I love that night. That was so good. Well, man, so good. To your point of just the simplicity of that feud, you know, it kept you tuning in every, you know, every pay per view because they didn't have their weekly show yet at this point. It was their pay per views. They but did. It, it, uh, well, they did have you know in certain markets, but this is back in the day, so you could only watch it. In like it Philly. wasn't in our market yet. It was New still York City. Some market in the Boston, I think, had it, but yeah, Philly. you couldn't see it on the West Coast. You couldn't down but south. Um, but. It was also, that was, to me, that was the feud that made ECW. I mean, take that away from, they had a lot of other great feuds. You had Sabu versus Taz. You had, you know. Oh, Van Damme and Jerry Lynn. I mean. Raven versus Dreamer is what put ECW out there. I put Raven versus Dreamer, not in the same category of business-wise, I guess, as Austin and Vince. No, you can't. Because nothing well, compares to that. Well, well I, I say that with Dreamer and Raven, Dreamer and Raven carrying ECW with that feud. Yeah, pushing yeah. ECW there. As and Vince and Austin, more exposure. Yeah. As Vince and Austin pushed WWF to that era. Yeah, and you're then, right. And the, the the Dreamer Raven feud is what kept you coming back to see if Dreamer was going to win. Yep. So and that's what really gave EC, That's what really gave ECW that. All right, we're here to fucking compete. Yeah. And we're here to, and we're here to do it. And these are our guys. These are our two guys right here that you're mm-hmm. gonna tune in to watch. Like like you said, you you had your Taz, your Bam Bam Bigelows, your Jerry Lynn's, your Sabu's, your Tajiri's. Well, and you gotta mention Sandman though, because Sandman oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Raven's dude was right up there too. But Tommy and Raven was the yeah, that was the top. Yeah. Tommy was the face of ECW. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's where my two cents lies with that. But it's I do funny because right before, you know what else? If it wasn't for that feud, Scotty Flamingo, as we all knew him before, and <laughs> WWF and WCW, probably never would have had the career that he had because it was it was because of what they were setting up for his feud with Dreamer. That's where they came up with the whole Raven gimmick. Yep. So, yeah. Well, there you have I it, folks. I put I put that as the greatest feud in ECW history. I don't know about oh, wrestling yeah. history, but ECW history, one hundred percent. Yeah, the, definitely the biggest feud in ECW history, and in my opinion, one of the greatest feuds of all time. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who give a fuck less about what we're talking about, but we sure do appreciate the fact that you might have maybe tuned in. Who knows? I know we've been here for a while. We've been here for an hour and 40 minutes talking to you off about feuds. We definitely want to hear from you. We want to hear what you guys think your feuds are. Again, there's our email address, offtheropestuesday at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us tonight. But before we go, we uh, next week, same time, same bat station, botches. Wrestling yeah. botches. We're going to be breaking down the greatest botches in wrestling history. So we encourage you guys, if you're watching, please email us. Tell us what are the botches you guys want us to talk about. 
I already know right off the bat, Shockmasters up there. We're also going to delve into <laughs> one of my personal favorites, Lex Luger versus a t-shirt. That's coming up next week, folks. We will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, as always, go like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can see this show exclusively at youtube.com slash hellentertainment666. We'll be here every Tuesday. You can catch me every other Sunday with my other co-host, Ashley, on Center Sundays, talking music and all that good stuff. And also, a thank you again to the Dorkening Podcast and all they do for us. I'm fucking tired. I'm fat. And not hungry. forget uh, Deadly Grounds Coffee. Deadly Grounds oh. Coffee as well, as they are partnering with the Dorkening Podcast as well. So Yum, yum, yum. Shout out to all of them. We will see you folks next week. And on that note... Peace out and be good to each other. Hasta la pasta.